So we're going to continue on in our series this morning to the praise of his glory. Pastor Dan will be preaching from Ephesians 1, 6 through 14, and the title is Rocked by Grace. Worship was pretty good, wasn't it? I think the best worship is not just when it's musically good and vocally good, but when it really connects you to Jesus mightily. Amen. Will you agree with me in prayer for the word today? Jesus, I feel like this is such an important word for our lives, and I pray that you would bless this time to each person. Give us attentiveness. Give us... Keep us, our minds from wandering somewhere else. Just help us to receive. We pray that as I speak, you will speak to each person. Amen. Amen. Rocked by grace. Sometimes people refer to too much grace as being greasy grace. And I think if we honestly look at the Bible, the more grace you preach, the more holy you live. Because it has that effect on us. It shakes us. It just shakes us into a desire to live for God. And that's why the title of this talk is called Rock by Grace, Living to the Praise of His Glory. And this is part four. I wanted to mention in the introduction that this uh, series on living for the praise of His glory, it's not like we're not doing it and we need to start doing it. It's like we're already doing it And in an apostolic culture, what we see the Holy Spirit often doing is focusing what a church is already doing well and strengthening it because Jesus said, he that has will be given even more. So it has been my quest over many, many years to live for the praise of his glory, live to the praise of his glory better, with more accuracy, with more consistency, with more with more um, authenticity and not have it be sporadic, but have it be a continual expression of delight to my heart and to his. And that's the one thing you know and you can expect if a pastor is on a, on a personal spiritual quest that he's going to drag as many people along as he can. I really I feel, I feel like that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in Ephesians. He himself has been rocked by grace. I mean, when you read Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing from, from being under house, in house arrest. He's been in prison for, um, this prison stays about four years. But um, he, he, he's like a kid at Christmas time trying to explain what presents he got. It's like, in the, even in the English, and it's worse in the Greek, it's like, he can't, the sentences aren't simple, short sentences that you can easily preach from. It's like, he's so excited, he just goes on and on with all kinds of nuances of amazing things, and you just have to say, just stop a second, just take a breath. Let us just extract a few things out of this that you're trying to tell us here. And the Apostle Paul is, is so thrilled, even in his prison situation, with his personal personal escape 
escape completely into the presence of Christ, living for the praise of his glory, that this overflowing need to share it is very present with him. My first talking point today is living to the praise of God's glory is a passionately verbalized life of praise. Someone said, Samuel Shoemaker, a Presbyterian preacher from the 19th century, our experience of Christianity can be measured by our inability to keep still about it. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he's passionately verbalizing something in, in writing what I'm sure he talked to everybody about because it has that sort of flavor to it. I was a Christian school teacher for 10 years and we memorized quite a few scriptures and that's why I know so many scriptures by memory. In case, in case anybody was wondering, it's not because I had a discipline for it, it's because I, if I was going to drag students into memorizing scripture, I had to do it myself. So, Paul in Ephesians, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of of his glorious grace. And that's where we're picking up with this verse expressed in the New King James Version, Ephesians 1, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. To the praise. Three words in English, one word in the New Testament Greek. Epinon, Epinon to the praise, used in classical Greece 500 years earlier than the New Testament writing, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Athens and other Greek cities, they would give speeches quite a bit and sometimes the speeches, the focus of the speeches would be praising some political person, just going on and on and create creative praising. They would actually give prizes and awards Olympic wreaths onto the head of people that gave the best speeches, epinon, praising people. And that's the word that the Apostle Paul is using here when he talks about giving praise to God. That if we're to live, if we're on a quest to live a lifestyle of praise to God, we've got to open our mouths. We've got to open our mouths. We've got to verbalize it. It has to be part and parcel of what it means in our heart of hearts to live for the praise of his glory. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul elsewhere says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. I especially want to give some advice if you're, there's several newly saved, newly saved Christians in our midst today that be bold be humble and be bold with the circle of friends that you've been running with that, aren't, that are pre-believers at this point to verbalize your praise, your good report about Jesus. Because not only will you, will you um, help them come, many of them to come to faith in Christ, but you will declare a thing and it will be established to you. You will be deepened 
in your own experience of Jesus, supernatural Jesus life, by verbalizing your praise of the Lord Jesus in the conversations you have with friends. And in writing on Facebook, you know, you don't write an epistle, but you can write on Facebook or write on uh, Instagram or whatever else um, uh, media you might use. But the whole point is to get the word out there and, and, uh, and praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul in prison, he experienced a supernatural connectedness with Jesus through praise. Through his worship, through his praise. It wasn't just some kind of positivity declared, although there's life in that. People that live a lifestyle of positivity and and saying positive things are happier people. But when you praise the Lord Jesus Christ, when you praise the Father, when you praise the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you verbalize praise to Him, there is a supernatural connectedness that gives you an experience of escaping completely into the tranquility and peace and joy of the heaven realm. So no matter what's going on, whatever prison you might find yourself in, like Paul, that you are not actually living in that prison, that your greatest reality is the experience of seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and experiencing the bliss and the tranquility and the peace of that. It is a wonderful gift to us, this reality that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat its fruit. The discipline in Jesus of avoiding critical, uh, critical words, negative speech, depressing comments, but putting on the, on the coat of the Lord, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put them on like a coat, and speaking praise to him, declaring praise to him, singing praise to him, worshiping with music praise to him. It releases a connectedness Supernatural connectedness that fills your body and soul and spirit with heavenly bliss and euphoria. And this is your this is your calling from Ephesians, not because you're a Pentecostal, neo-Pentecostal, or charismatic, or whatever else you want to say a Holy Spirit church is. It's in the Word of God, it's in the Bible. It's supernatural, it's power. It connects you with the in-beloved reality. It connects you with the beloved. And when you reach out and touch Jesus, even the hem of his garment, his virtue, and his, his wonder, his beauty, his presence floods you, body, soul, and spirit. Praise and worship does that for you and for me. Remember the first time? That you praise the Lord? Do you remember the first time that you learned about worship? Maybe some of you were blessed with growing up and praising the Lord in, in church scenes. But I, I remember distinctly the first time. I'd come to Christ. I started a Christian coffee house. Some of my friends, we had worship groups come through. I thank God often that Brenda was in one of those singing groups and I met her. But there was a singing group, two different singing groups. One of them said, 
after we sing our concert, come upstairs, let's gather in a circle, and let's receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I thought I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my baptism. I wanted to baptize the water, it was powerful. I, but I'll, I'll go along. As we sat up there, he said, the first step is to start praising God in English. Just follow our lead. And they just started raising their hands. We were sitting around in a circle, about 50 of us. Started praising God. And everybody joined in, following their lead. Just, it, was, it was humbling. It took a big dose of humble pie to do it. But we all did it, and the Spirit came. Wow, did he come mightily upon us. And many, I didn't, but many of us began speaking in tongues in the moment. I'll never forget it. And I was so hooked on this reality of verbalizing praise that I went to a couple of my friends that were helping with the coffee house who'd been raised Christians in a cessationist type churches. And uh, I said, hey, I discovered something. You know, if you praise God out loud, you feel close to him. It's awesome. Let's, let's do it now. Let's do it. Just follow my lead. It's like this. And they wouldn't do it. Because they'd been taught that's what Pentecostals do. We're not Pentecostal. And I asked him, well, why didn't you do it? And he said, well, because you're acting like a Pentecostal. I said, well, okay, I have to go check out what that means. <laughs> I just knew that it worked. I was very practical. And then another singing group came from City Bible Church, Bible Temple in those days. And they, were, they said, have you ever tried singing in the Spirit? Just weaving language in English together like the sound of, of many waters unto God. And they said, it's like this. And we, we, it was beautiful. It was, it was escape completely into, into bliss. Stories told of Ira Sankey, who was the worship leader for D.L. Moody's uh, services in the Second Great Awakening. Ira Sankey was serving in the Union Army in the Civil War, and in the boredom and the, and the loneliness of guard duty, missing his family, thoughts wandering, just lonely and sad. He, is, he realized the only respite for for that intense loneliness was praise. And he would sing praise to God. And it was an escape completely into his presence. And he did it often when he was on, on guard duty. And he talked about it as being a really a, a, a great rescue from some of the traumas and thoughts of fighting in the Civil War. A.W. Tozer put it this way, without praise to God, we go about miserable. Point two, point one being, point one being living to the praise of God's glory is passionately verbalized. I remind you, it takes humility, but it, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the to the humble, doesn't he? It's point two. And I do only have two points, but I'm going to elaborate on this. Living to the praise of God's glory is grace-grounded praise. It's grace-grounded. It's a grace-grounded life of praise. I said it's a grace-grounded life of praise. It's, it's this platform that we spring from in praise and worship is, is Grace. In this passage, we notice that grace is mentioned twice. Ephesians 1, verse 6 and 7. 
And any time my mom used to once especially emphasize something, or my dad once especially emphasized something, he re- she repeated it, or my dad repeated it. Did your mom or dad do that? You know, look both ways for you across the street, that kind of thing. Did they say it just once and hope for the best the rest of your life? My mom and dad repeated such things. Well, God's the same way. Anytime you see something repeated, you want to give it special attention. So, Ephesians 1 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. When we praise him, we experience his glory, we experience his presence, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. To the praise of the the glory of his grace, according to the riches of his grace. What do you think of when you hear the word grace? My niece Emily, her husband Spiro, she's a Washington, D.C. lawyer. He works with the State Department in Washington, D.C. They visited us over a few days this week. And uh, they have a daughter named Grace. So if you said Grace in their presence, they'd think of their do- dear daughter Grace. They also said they have to work working under the president administration that takes a lot of grace. And if that insulted you, may God give you grace. In Ephesians uh, 1, verse 6 to 14... I wonder what you think of when you, th- when you think of the word grace. I just said what Emily would have thought of. Grace for her job, grace with her daughter. But there's several expressions of grace. It literally means God's favor. But in this passage that Paul's experiencing being rocked by grace, he clarifies some theological items. And what theologians call soteriological items, things related to our salvation and the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Nuances of grace that specifically reach out and grab his heart and ours. Brendan and I like to go for prayer walks in our neighborhood and we pray back and forth, take turns praying, and often we focus on thanksgiving and praise for stuff in our family, things that are going well with her artwork or in church life. We thank God often for you, you guys. And uh, it's, uh, it's appropriate to do that. We focus that at Thanksgiving, don't we? And we are to live a lifestyle of Thanksgiving to God for the stuff, good stuff he's doing. But I want to suggest to you the possibility that there's even a higher level of praise and Thanksgiving, and that's to focus on the wonders of the, of the theological expressions of grace that Paul is giving here. I mean, I'm sure he's very grateful for stuff that God's done in his life, but mostly what he does in this passage has to do with what God has done in his life that it's related to the grace in saving him and rescuing him from death and hell. And it's the three nuances, three words that he especially focuses that emerge from this passage I want to focus as we continue this talk. The first grace word is the grace word acceptance. Verse 6. He made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself did the work, not us. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. 
says the Proverbs. I want to su- suggest to you the way that seems right to people at large out in the culture is the way of trying to atone for our own weaknesses and sins and mistakes through our own works. The way that seems right to religious people is to be more religious for self-atonement. And uh, what the gospel says is that nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of works that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is he that has made us accepted in the beloved. In the history of the Christian church up to the Reformation when Martin Luther discovered grace, declared it with his mouth, verbalized it, and Europe shook. In that great revival called the Reformation. Up to that point, the church had taught that there are three possible ladders to climb yourself to earn acceptance with God. The first is your own merit. Of course, you can never know if you were doing good enough, but that was a ladder you could try. Another ladder was a prayer life, preferably as a full-time monk praying all day, every day. And the third way was to study theology. You got points with God by studying theology, preferably as a full-time monk where you studied theology all day, every day. That was what Martin Luther was doing when he discovered grace. When he began to verbalize praise to God for his grace, The revival hit, the Holy Spirit moved, and people got happy because of grace. One time I went fishing as a kid, I lived up, grew up, as I've mentioned, bazillions of times on a 320 acre farm uh, near the Columbia River Gorge. And we had a fishing creek that ran through our property, and I'm like thinking back, no mom and dad would ever do it nowadays, but. When we were eight and nine years old, they sent us out fishing the other side of the property. Just go, go to the other side of the property. It's a half-hour walk, but just get, out, get away for the afternoon, will you? <laughs> and we used, to, we used to dig night crawlers out of uh, the barnyard. And, and my mom would make us peanut butter jelly sandwiches and we'd put an apple in there. We'd go fishing. And I noticed one time as I was eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich that it had a funny taste. And I realized I hadn't washed, as I was so excited about fishing, I had forgot to wash my hands after I had used the night crawlers on my hook. Yeah. And then I am embarrassed to tell you, it happened more than once. Is that a distasteful illustration? If you think it is, I'm wondering if you can appreciate the fact that way more distasteful than that illustration is the distaste that God feels in in his mouth when he sees people attempting to self-atone. And what if my mom had actually mixed nightcrawlers just to make it more fun? 
into the peanut butter. And then she put a note in the lunch sack that said, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to see if you can get the night crawler out of the peanut butter before you eat it. And you arrogantly said, well, through studying theology, prayer, or good works, I probably can get the night crawl out of there. Wouldn't that be ludicrous? But yet, that's what we do. It tastes horrible to God, but yet, as a people, as a culture, that original sin that was in Adam and Eve has permeated culture in people's lives all the way through to this point. There's only one thing that will extract it, and that is the blood of Jesus. George Whitfield in the second in the first Great Awakening put it this way: "Works, works. A man gets to heaven by works. I would as soon think of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand." What what does it mean to be accepted? Jesus says, "Because I accept you." This is. Not in the Bible, but this is, in essence, sort of a paraphrase of the theology of acceptance. Jesus says, because I accept you, you can be happy. You're free to be happy. You are free to be successful. You can be free in your heart. You can love yourself. Your life matters. You are important. You are not alone. And you are worthy. Because of my grace, because I am the one that has made you accepted in the beloved. The second grace word, the grace word, redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, in verse 7. Repeated, for emphasis, verse 13, 14. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, the blood botanist of your life. To the praise of his glory. There it is. This this wonderful gift of redemption triggers praise. A life of praise to his glory. One more verse from this passage to clarify what redemption means. Are you okay? Everybody okay? Everybody still listening? Okay. No one's thinking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches right now? I hope it's not ruined for you. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who are the first who trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. There it is. Redemption. God redeems every difficulty, every stress point, every disappointment, Every, oh, no, experience of our life. And the Bible says in this passage, he actually enjoys, enjoys turning those disappointing, oh, difficult stress point moments. He says that ultimately, this passage says ultimately, he will bring everything together in heaven and on earth. And he's working all things after the counsel of his will. Sort of an expression of like Romans 8.28, all things working together for good to those that love God. 
God actually has great pleasure within himself in his enjoyment of his own inner world glory. Working out billions and billions of experiences of his blood-bought ones to the point where when we see him in heaven, he'll grab our shoulders, look us in our eye, and he'll say, there's nothing lost. There's not one thing that's lost. There's no loss. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, I do not know if there is a more dreadful word in the English language than the word lost. I talked with a young mom once that lost a two-year-old girl. And I expressed to her, it was a a messenger interaction, I expressed to her that it's a valid posture to not let go of the grief. Such a horrible, deep loss that she will always have that sense of sadness in her heart because she lost her daughter. I'm, I'm not going to be lengthy and dragging you into someone else's loss. I'm only doing it because I want you to know that Jesus is identifying with your loss too. We all have different expressions of loss. And what I told her, that there, was, there will be a day in your personal history where you stand in the presence of your daughter in, in glory. You'll hold her cheek to cheek. And Jesus Christ will be there and he'll wipe away your tears, mama. And your daughter's tears. He'll wipe away your daughter's tears and he'll wipe away his own tears. His own hot tears. And you will realize at that moment, in relationship with your daughter, there is nothing lost. Absolutely nothing lost. Everything is redeemed. I love how God works salvation stories in people. You know, there was a Confederate soldier veteran in 1876 that was on a, a boat in, a, in a northeastern United States going across uh, the Delaware River. And there was a crowd gathered there. And someone said, Ira Sankey is here. Moody's song leader. Let's get him to sing. And he sang, Savior like a shepherd lead us. And the Confederate soldier said, Oh my goodness. I've heard that voice before and I've seen that man before. And he went up to Ira Sankey after the song was sung and he said, did you serve in the Union Army? Yeah. Did you serve guard duty at this place, at this date, on this night? Yes. I was in the shadows pointing my rifle at you And there was a 100% chance I was going to pull the trigger as a Confederate soldier. 100%. But then you started singing, Savior like a shepherd lead us. My mom used to sing that to me, he said. And so I said to myself, I'm going to wait until he's done with the song, then I'm going to shoot him. 
But when the song was done and the spirit came, I couldn't do it. So I walked away. Can you help me find Jesus? He said to Ira, thank you on the boat. And Ira helped him get born again on the spot. Just pause for a moment and consider how God worked the circumstances of Ira Sankey's situation and this Confederate soldier situation into a beautiful experience of redemption. Sometimes we see it in this life, but there are times, occasions, where we'll have to wait. I wait for the next life. But I'm telling you, there's more continuity between this life and the next than you and I will ever realize. It'll be part of our personal history to have Jesus grab our shoulders, look us in the eye, and with hot tears running down your cheeks and him wiping them away in his own, wiping the tears off of his own cheeks, he'll say, see, see what God can do. See how God can bring all things together in heaven and earth when mankind has totally screwed up human history for all these years. And there's been so much loss and so much pain. Look what God can do. And the pleasure that resonates in God's heart about, and glory in his heart about what he can do with people's circumstances will be overflowing to everybody in heaven and everybody's going to say praise to the glory of his grace. Finally, that word forgiveness, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The classic example is the prostitute that was brought to Jesus. We caught her in the act. Jesus says, who is without sin, let him throw the first rock, cast the first stone. But I'm going to need a tissue, Tina. Woo. Thank you. And they all walked away one by one from the eldest to the youngest. Where did your accusers go? They've all gone, Lord. Where are those that condemned you? They've gone. And the only one that had the right to condemn her, the sinless one, the only one that had the right to condemn her wouldn't do it. Do you think she felt forgiveness when she walked away? I do. I've shared this story before, but it's pertinent to this as an illustration, I had no really theology or understanding about what words of knowledge were. As a young pastor in Astoria, I was just up in my office one day, and knock off the door came, and a guy came in in tears, big guy, Vietnam War vet, burst out. I've just been watching Billy Graham on TV, and I tried to say the sinner's prayer, but something wouldn't work. I need help. I want to be saved. That's the kind of evangelism everybody loves. So I prayed with him, and he couldn't, he couldn't get a breakthrough. So as I was praying with him, I, I had no sense of trying to ask God for anything. I just, it just came to me, and I began to ask him a question. I said, 
I said, so you were in Vietnam, right? Yes. I said, were you involved in killing one of your own officers because he was being irresponsible and endangering lives of, of American soldiers? Yes. I said, did you accidentally shoot and kill a 14-year-old um, Vietnamese girl uh, by accident? Yes. And there was a couple other things that I said that were accurate. It, it, the, word, the Spirit just started just telling me stuff, and I started saying it. And, and I said to him, I said to him, look me in the eye right now. The same God who told me those things about you is saying to you, you're totally forgiven. He crashed to the floor, weeping with gratitude. It was a moment to remember. God wants us to feel forgiven. Y'all have your communion elements? I don't have mine. Here, here comes one. Thank you, dear. Go get another one. Thank you. Let's. Can you hold your communion elements and stand at the same time? <laughs> right now, we receive our we receive forgiveness. We receive the feeling of forgiveness as well as the reality of forgiveness. We receive the body and blood of Christ. Just one moment. Hold steady here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We receive your body and with, as the, as the bread goes down, so does forgiveness. Body, soul, and spirit. Receive the body of Christ and forgiveness. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. As the juice goes down, the blood of Christ goes down. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness. With the drink comes forgiveness. Allow yourself to feel forgiveness through and through. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the glory of his grace. We leave today, God, with a great hooray, a great praise to the Lord in our hearts. Thank you, God, for our time together today. We love you. Jesus loves you. Go in his grace. Amen.